Good morning, church. I would hope that by around this time, perhaps we're at least doing a dry run service, but we have committed to you that regardless of what else is going on, that we will have a full length um, worship service for you, wherever you happen to be geographically. If you want to be a member at Fourth Avenue, just email us and we would be happy to get you that packet of information. We have members at large uh, all around the world and we love you as well. Here in the States, uh, we've gone through COVID crisis as most of you have, and we're, we're not all done with that. And of course, we've had crisis with um, uh, racism and its aftermath. None of us are perfect. All of us are deeply scarred, but we are not content to leave things as they are. We want to get better and make it a better world for our children and your children. So keep us in prayer and we keep you in prayer. We are actually talking about people who are confused and suffering and looking for answers and arguing about it. That sounds very topical, does it not? We are in our third week with Job, but really only our second week to look deeply at the text. Job chapters four through six. I ask you to read ahead for this week, and it's very important that you do so. These, um, these sermons can only skim the surface of some really deep stuff. Later, perhaps, we'll do a class where we go very deep and we'll go through this in a slow and a measured way. But here are the first, the first exchange of speeches. Please remember that these are the greatest minds that ever lived, according to several historians, involved with the greatest meeting of the greatest minds that ever lived. I'd have to agree, this is very, very deep and detailed, and there are so many places just to stop and wonder. But we start with chapter four. Eliphaz is one of the most fully featured and filled out of Job's friends, perhaps really the only one who gets more personality the more you read of him. He begins, and he's the first to speak, but remember, he didn't jump in. He didn't interrupt. He didn't crowd his way into this discussion. He had been sitting there in misery with his friend. He had been sharing the pain for days and days and days. And then it was Job who broke the silence with a long mournful cry that still breaks our heart to this very day. When he is done, Eliphaz believes then he has been given permission by Job speaking for him to speak, and he, he does. And some of what he says sounds way too familiar. Eliphaz is not trying to, to silence Job. He's not trying to minimize his suffering. He's trying to help him see the big picture. He's, he's here to help him contextualize his pain, to use modern therapeutic language. We, we tend to do that. Um, and people, it can come off as uncaring. It can come off as, well, you don't really appreciate the depths of my pain. And in fact, that's exactly the way it comes out here. But it doesn't matter. We still talk like this today. I want you to very much understand something. While this may be, and most likely is, the oldest story, the oldest book we've got in, in all of scripture, it is, it is very modern. It is very, every time I turn a page, no matter which page I'm on, Job hits me and he hits me deeply, either with sorrow and empathy 
or with shame because I hear my own words and I see my own reaction. Eliphaz is trying to defend God. He feels that's his duty because God is being questioned in chapter 3. You know, why would God do this? Isn't God just? And so Eliphaz answered. And while these individuals may only have scraps of information about God because they predate the temple, the tabernacle, the Ten Commandments, Moses, the patriarchs, they, they don't really know much. They're, they're casting about. They're really in a Romans 1 world. In Romans 1, Paul says everything that can be known about God can be discerned by observing creation, looking at nature. That's a very broad statement to make, and I believe that Paul was inspired by the Spirit. So we have to deal with that. And these individuals really show us what that looks like when you don't have Scripture, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a temple to go to, you can't find a Levite around to help you. they got to figure this out on their own. So he steps in. And it's one of the most natural things to do, uh, to leap to God's defense. Sometimes it's also the correct move. I can remember those wonderful years that we lived in West Virginia, but there was a radio talk show in the mornings and one of the uh, prime contributors to it was a man who did not believe in God or if there was a God, did not like him. And this was every morning in a, in a West Virginia statewide radio program, which was always maybe, hmm, you wouldn't have expected that, but there he is. And he loved to say uh, one thing in particular, and that is almost all wars have been caused by religion. Well, there's actually a series of books. It's uh, volume one, two, three, and I think four is out now called History of, of Wars. And it covers everything from the Sumerians way back the first recorded war to our, uh, our wars to date. Somebody actually did the math on this and came out with about 15% of all wars had any religious context at all. That's rather shocking. So it's, if you feel like defending whenever a radio host says that, go ahead. Hit them with the facts. See what happens. Be aware facts don't normally do much for feelings, but you can try. Sometimes Richard Dawkins says things, the great atheist, that annoy me. And I think, well, I should write. And then I go, you know something? Trying to defend God sometimes will go sideways. It may not be the right way to do things. Eve did it wrong. She did in Genesis. I and mean, I've got my Bible here and you'll get your, um, your scriptures up there. In Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Did you catch that? God didn't say anything about don't touch it or die. She just took God's command and made it bigger. So make it safer. We're not, not only are we not gonna eat that fruit, we're not gonna touch the tree because if you do, you'll die. Well, we very often when we defend God, we say more than we know or we are authorized to know. And we need to be careful when we speak so quickly. And I say we, this is a collective pronoun. I'm in this mess with everybody else. I, I'm no better at this than any who are listening. Let's keep going. 
This is pretty good stuff. Now, one of the problems in trying to speak for God is that the sufferer can hear you say, your suffering's not all that bad, and maybe you deserved it. I'm serious here. We, we, that's not what we're saying. We're trying to help them deal and get a picture of their suffering and, and even understand it. And yet the hurt person hears us saying, we don't care and you probably deserved it. That's what's happening in chapters four through six. Does this sound familiar? Yes, it does. It's one of the reasons why, and it's been a controversial decision to some, I refuse to have doctrinal, political discussions of any kind on social media. Why? They never work. They descend into chaos because no matter what you say or write, the other one hears through their ears and they see through their eyes. And so I just use social media for the fun stuff. And I, and I get a kicking for that every now and then, but that's all right. Sometimes I deserve a kicking. Eliphaz seems like a good person, but some of the things he says are very hurtful. In chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, for example, he, go, he reminds Job that he, Job, helped many who were suffering in the past. He was a good guy. Why don't you take the advice you gave others and apply it to yourself? You know, when you're suffering, that's hurtful. It, it really is. Uh, Eliphaz, I don't think, meant that. He just says, come on, you know how to do this. You've told others how to do it. And they, then he, like Eve, says too much. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Consider now, who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the right upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God, they are destroyed. At the blast of his anger, they perish. Um, is this true? Is, is it true that innocent people are never wiped out and that it's only the people that sow evil that reap evil? Absolutely not. This is not true. And yet I've heard these words. I've heard them said, couched perhaps more kindly, but the same words come out. Basically, they come out to, you must be doing something wrong. And this becomes a recurrent theme in this we have, to, we have to warn ourselves because it is a human tendency to look for a reason somebody is suffering when there might not be an on-site reason that we can handle. Eliphaz has a worldview and a theology that comforts him, but it destroys anybody he wants to comfort. That's a bad thing. The life and horrific death of Jesus would put paid to this nonsense, one would think but it's still out there. Let us be cautious. Jesus warned his followers that they would be put out of synagogues. They would suffer persecution. Some would be disowned. Some would face horrific death, not because they were evil, but because they were good. One book about the book of Job was written in 1993 by Stephen Lawson. And it is, I love the title of it. By the way, the book is out of print, I checked but you can find used copies sometimes at different websites. The book is by Steve Lawson, Stephen Lawson is called When All Hell Breaks Loose, You Might Be Doing Something Right. What a fantastic, a fantastic title for the book of Job. Ecclesiastes has just told us in great detail that we cannot measure 
our value or how much God loves us by our health and our wealth and our joy because all of us get some and all of us lose some and that's not a measure it's not a barometer of God's approval Eliphaz uh, in chapter 4 verse 12 through 5 verse 7 we're not going to take the time to read that today 4 12 through 5 7 reveals a very haunting thing actually he says in the middle of the night a whisper moved past a being from another place he's had a supernatural vis visitation he assumes this is an angel and um, we could play with that a little bit and say yeah it could be an angel but we don't know if it was a good angel or a bad angel there's another visitation which is coming up later in the book which if you don't get chill bumps you're not paying attention and no I'm not talking about the arrival of God near the end of the book there's another being that shows up in the night but Eliphaz here says you know, this message that this angel gave me that told me, now you listen up. Here's a let, you know, I, I got a message from God here. And what it is, is nobody on earth can question God because God is above all and you have no right to speak against him or question him. We'll just look at a few verses here. Chapter four, verses 16 through 19. It stopped this being, but I could not tell. What it was a form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice can a mortal be more righteous than God can a man be more pure than his maker if God places no trust in his servants if he charges his angels with ever how much more those who live in houses of clay whose foundations are in the dust who are crushed more readily than a moth Okay, that's not a message one wants to receive from a heavenly messenger in the middle of the night. And we do need to question the source. Who is this being and where they get their information from? The book of James in the New Testament tells us very plainly, you test the spirits. Make sure they're from God. Paul writes Timothy saying, there will be many deceiving spirits going out. Watch out. I think this is going to be marked down as one of them. Eliphaz continues in chapter 5 to say that Job's suffering didn't just come out of nowhere. Thing, all things have causes. There must be a reason. Of course, we know the background. We know the conversation that took place in heaven. But Eliphaz isn't talking about this. He believes, when you just get right down to it, aren't we all guilty people? Now, this is true. That's what makes us dangerous because then we can use it as an excuse for this person's suffering. Well, you know, we're all sinners, and this time it was your turn on the wheel of punishment for God to come after you and discipline you. And chapter five, um, we, we will limit this just to verses six and seven. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. You know, I've heard that last verse quoted many times as a way of just saying we're all in this together. And that, it's, it's a very good verse for that. Yes, it is just like sparks flying upward. You don't have to know why. Scientifically, we understand now, but they didn't. You don't have to know why it happens. You just have to notice it happens. 
all of us have trouble, but it comes from somewhere. And then Eliphaz goes on to get a little chirpy. Everything's going to be okay. Just have faith. It's all good. Hmm. Maybe it is. But how's that going to help Job? Tell him, hang in there. This all ends eventually. We all, we've read Ecclesiastes. We know it all ends. There are people. Uh, the strictest form of Calvinism, which came out of uh, Geneva, Switzerland, and Scotland uh, via John Knox. I'm sorry, apologies. Has turned whole nations against God. For Calvinism teaches that everything was planned before creation, those who would be redeemed and those who would not be, the suffering of all. And one of its great proponents today, massively popular in books and, and mega church circles, John Piper, even went so far the day after a madman entered a nursery school and slaughtered babies with an AR-15, was asked on the radio, was this part of God's plan? Did God pick which child would be shot and which one would not, which would die and which one would not? And Dr. Piper said, yes. Is there any, anybody not understand why some people then turn their back on God? If God causes all suffering and picks and chooses, is that the world you want? I, I don't believe it's the world God teaches us in scripture. And I'm aware that Calvinists believe that I'm wrong. Here's the deal. We've got to find a way just to follow Jesus. I don't think any of us are going to be doctrinally perfect by the time we see Jesus. And that's not the point, is it? The point is to be faithful and walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus. And Jesus didn't act like, well, you know, yes, your, your daughter is dying, centurion. But frankly, she had it coming. No. How do we deal with this? It fascinates me that 3,000 years after this book was written, we still use the same wording that Eliphaz uses in chapter 5, starting at verse 17. We're reading all the way through 27. Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. From six calamities, he will rescue you. In seven, no harm will befall you. In famine, he will ransom you from death. And in battle, from the stroke of the sword, you will be protected from the lash of the tongue and need not fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine and need not fear the beast of the earth. For you have a covenant with the stones of the field and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. This is a man who just lost everything. You will know that your children will be many and your descendants like the grass of the earth. This to a man who just had all of his children killed. You will come to the grave in full vigor like sheaves gathered in season. We have examined this and it is true. So hear it and apply it to yourself. Job done. Oh my goodness, this is horrid. And what's really horrible is that in more poetic words, we still say to people, oh, you just have to faith, push through. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be great. You're just really gonna love this on the other side. 
And while there is some truth to the ultimate end of all men and all women and all beasties and the like, and that those of us who are made in the image of God, which is every human being, regardless of color or nationality or situation, those of us made in his image have the capability to live for eternity in a wonderful place, yes, but let's not negate the here and the now. That was a mistake, according to the book of Job. Job responds now. He responds and um, in chapters 6 and 7. And if you're thinking, oh, no, that's another half of the sermon. No, we, we don't have time for that. We are going to move through this very quickly. Job responds by saying, listen, you're, you're underestimating my pain here. I think we all have to say that's correct. But don't dump too much on Eliphaz. And I hope I don't sound like I'm dumping too much on him. But I think I get very frustrated with him because I think he's a good person and I think sometimes I'm a good person and I think I make the same mistakes that Eliphaz makes sometimes. Maybe that's it. Regardless, none of us understands the pain of another. We all arrive to every discussion pre-bruised and we never know where the bruises are nor can we understand where those bruises are if we have not gone through there. I've had many people say, you can't understand what I've been through. And my response to them is, you are absolutely correct. But if you give me emotions like pain, terror, isolation, regret, disappointment, rage, I have probably felt those in other contexts. And I can try to pile them up in a pile so that I can hear what you're saying. And by the way, that can only be done face to face. Don't try to do that over online. It just... I don't see it going well. We, got, we have to make room in our lives, this from a committed introvert, to sit down with people and face-to-face -face people. I've been doing that a lot the last few weeks, and I bet some of you have too. Trying to keep all the social distance rules, but still saying, I got to understand some stuff. Can you talk to me? That's a pretty good thing. Works better face-to-face. Um, Job says this, uh, Job chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. If only my anguish could be weighed and my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sands of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous or ill-judged, spoken too quickly. That's what Eliphaz was saying. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. He's putting this firmly back in God's hand. It's God's fault. He could have stopped it. He didn't. Believe it or not, God's tough enough for you to say that. God's tough enough for you to wrestle with them. It's okay. God's terrors, he says, are marshaled against me. We don't know what the terrors meant there. They could actually mean beings, spiritual beings that are dark have come against him. Verse 11, what strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient. I think we all need to read chapter six, especially memorizing verse 11, and think of it when we deal with each other in pain. Notice I did not say deal with people in pain. We are all in pain. Some of us are much better at hiding it than others. And the sources of our pain are many different streams and wells, but let's not pretend they're not there. He told Eliphaz that friends should be reliable sources of comfort, not intermittent streams that dry up just when you need a drink of comfort. In chapter 6, he, he challenges 
Eliphaz and, and, and the entire crew there to show him, okay, uh, what sin? What sin have I committed that makes me deserve all of this? And by the way, that's a bit of a challenge because if they show him that sin, don't you think he could show them some of theirs? But look, just a few verses. Um, Job 6 verse 24, teach me and I'll be quiet. Show me where I've been wrong. Let's go down a little bit, uh, 28 to 30. But now be so kind as to look at me. Would I lie to your face? Relent, do not be unjust. Reconsider, for my integrity is at stake. And again, integrity, we might use the word there, my moral reputation. Is there any wickedness on my lips? Can my mouth not discern malice? He's saying, hey, if I had a square jar, the thing would be empty. You, you show me the sin I've committed that deserves this, and I'll show you the times you've done it. And where are your punishments? Yeah. I hear all the time, God's not fair. And I don't say, oh, yeah, he is. I'm, I don't turn into Eliphaz. Because sometimes we don't know why disaster falls here and not there. We just don't know. I remember when the tsunami hit Indonesia, killing so many and people were, were running to say, it's, 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 it's uh, the judgment of God against the Muslims. It's, um, is it? Just don't. Instead, go help the victims who are alive and mourning and shattered. And let's just help people. Whenever they ask us why, look at them and say, I don't know. Because we don't. And Job changes his focus. He's not getting anywhere with elephants here. So he turns in chapter 7 to God and brings his complaint there. He wants, he's, he says that he's wishing for death. He just wants this all to be over and death is what he wants. This, this hits a little hard because my father just over a year ago died after five years of asking me, please pray that I die. And every day before, every not every day, I'm sorry. I would go visit them. Uh, they lived about two and a half hours away. I would go see them once a week when I could, sometimes twice a week. Sometimes I'd have to miss a week. You get the point. I was down there as often as I could, but every time he would say, would you pray before you leave that I die? Mm. Job seven seventeen. What is man, he's saying to God, that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention. Uh, a Jewish man once told me, I know we're God's chosen people, but frankly, I wish he would have chosen someone else. He was speaking of the persecution of the Jews. Reading on, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment. Will you never look away from me or even leave me alone for an instant? If I've sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. Is your heart broken? Your heart should be broken. Wow, just wow. We can race ahead. We can turn the pages of our Bible and get to the end of the story and have Jesus talk to us about pain and how he showed us about the grace of God and holding on and being faithful. But the problem of pain and suffering continue to be a real problem. And we need to admit that we're all swimming through the same troubled waters. There are many in our neighborhoods who do not believe in God. There are many in our schools and our workplace who do not believe in a God or a personal God because they say if there was a God and if there was a God who was good, 
then these things would not happen. Do you see why we needed the book of Job first? Now, you don't have any answers yet. I get that. Job's not going to give us the answers in a form that we like. He's not even going to give us the answer in a form we don't like. He's going to give us the problem and show us how to keep wrestling. Because that's our job. But it's not easy. Please read uh, Job chap chapters 8, 9, and 10 for next week. They won't always be three-chapter um, assignments. We are doing exchanges, and we get a new voice next week. So, chapters 8, 9, and 10. And if you've not read up to there, get started. We need to have this in us. This needs to be a part of us so that we can help each other. And I'll close today merely with your job, your assignment, an admonition from the mouth of Apostle Paul. Love must, uh, Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. And may God bring us peace.